0: From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter.
1: Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We are a month and a half into the new year, and a lot of people started off 2023 with something called dry January. After the holidays, it was an opportunity to give up alcohol, a way to start the new year on a refreshed and healthier note. But the number of people taking part in the sobriety challenge was down this year. At the same time, cases of alcohol-related liver disease are up. That's according to the CDC, especially among young people. In this episode of Straight Talk, we look at the benefits of reducing alcohol consumption, how a person knows they might have a problem, and the help available. We get the inside scoop from two dynamic women from the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation of Oregon. It is the nation's leading nonprofit provider of comprehensive inpatient and outpatient treatment and mental health care for adults and youth. Heidi Wallace is Vice President of Hazelden Betty Ford's Northwest Region. And Carrie Bates is a Senior Community Outreach Manager in Oregon. Bates is a three-time Olympic gold medal winning swimmer who had her own struggles with alcohol and went through several treatments for alcohol abuse before finally becoming sober. That was 11 years ago. She'll share her story with us. I'm pleased to welcome my guests, Heidi Wallace and Carrie Bates. Welcome back to Straight Talk. It's such a pleasure to have you both back. Thanks Thank for you. having us back. Thanks, Laurel. Well, we're talking about dry January, mm-hmm. a time when people abstain from alcohol, but this year the numbers were down, Heidi. It was down, I think, from 19% in 2020 to 15% this year. Why do you think the numbers were down?
0: I think there's a number of different reasons. I'm from the negative side, it could be related to stress. You know, the, a stress in this country coming off of the pandemic, coming off of everything that we're going through as a country and throughout the world, Stress is a huge indicator of, you know, increased use when we see that. On the positive side though, is we're seeing more months being added within the year. So dry January is not, it started out as just dry January, but now we're seeing dry July and sober October. And so these catchy phrase are, phrases are actually catching on. And so it could be that because January was down, it could be because people are participating in other months. And so um, I'm more hopeful that that's the case because I'm hearing about it more and more in the community and through social groups that people are participating. So I do think there's a catch and I think that the fact that it's growing into other months is a really positive.
1: Well, Carrie, why would people take part in in dry January and these other months? What are the benefits? Well, I think
2: most of the benefits come from just feeling better when we're not drinking. You know, that's the reality. When when we don't drink, we usually feel better, whether it's the morning or physically, we're probably in the gym more when we're not drinking. And so I think the primary reason people do it is number one, it's a bit of a competition. Mm -hmm. And number two, it's, it's a healthier way. So it's a way to start the year on a healthy foot. It really started, dry January really started because people would overindulge over the new year. And then they'd wanna take a break, so to speak. And then they started into this dry January. So I think overall it's to feel better. We
0: keep hearing this term, or I've been hearing it, sober curious, mm-hmm.
1: what does that mean? And is that
0: trend spreading, Heidi? It is, it's, you know, sober curious came out of dry January. Mm-hmm. So this idea that I've started to, you know, not, I went 30 days, let's say, without, or 31 days without drinking. And sober curious is, wait a second, I've taken a, um, a little bit of insight into my own use and maybe, I was, you know, I'm wanting to contemplate not. Maybe I go a little further. Maybe I noticed that I had some cravings in the evening time or I've noticed some things about myself that maybe abstaining longer is a good idea or I feel so good that I wanna abstain or I've noticed that these there, I, mean, had, I had negative impact from my alcohol use and so this might be a better idea to just take it in stride and see how this works out. So sober curious may not be abstaining forever, but it um, for many it can be, um, but for many it's just starting out and checking it out and seeing what is this all about? And it's really about valuing, you know, taking that value system and that's like, I value my health or my, you know, and also, insight into the disease a little bit too, so. Do you you see the trend spreading? Definitely, and I think that dry January really gave that sober
2: curious movement, a start, because I think more and more people when they did dry January, realized there were so many benefits, not to just their health, but maybe financially, maybe alcohol was starting to cause problems with coworkers or family members, and those maybe went away during dry January. So really, it's just allowed people without stigma to start taking intermittent breaks from
1: drinking to really kind of do some self evaluation. Let's talk about the the health impacts. According to the CDC, 22,000 Americans die every year from alcohol-related liver disease. And one quarter of those are young people in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Can you talk a little bit about that, Heidi? What are we seeing?
0: Well, I think that um, the crisis, the opioid crisis is one thing that we hear a lot about in our media and throughout the country, and it's very much been a problem. I mean, the opioid epidemic is alive and well, and it's absolutely killing people. But what gets forgotten when we focus in on one drug is there's actually a substance that's been killing people more over time, and that's alcohol. And alcohol is, it's almost the silent, um, people for, don't talk about it, it's so normal. It's part of our, so many people's everyday life that because of that, there that also increases the shame. So when people do have a problem, they feel that sense of shame or guilt or whatever it may be that go with, goes with it and then that makes it that much more difficult to you know, identify that they have a problem and or abstain altogether. So. And more young people yeah. are having liver-related disease. Yep. Mm-hmm. How do you explain that? I don't, I can't explain it exactly. You know, I can't say exactly why young people are, but I do think that um, what we're seeing, I do, I can explain this. People that, we're seeing young people that more young people wanna be healthy. And so we're seeing definitely a trend towards more young people that don't have a background or family history with substance use are trending in that direction. The individuals with families with substance use or maybe more risk factors, it's getting worse. So where one group it's getting better, there's another group Mm -hmm. that it's getting worse, and that's concerning. And um, that's the and you know it's what are those risk factors that you want people to know about, which is family history age of first use and overall consumption, what are people consuming at any given time. So, the genetic predisposition is probably the biggest, is the biggest. Well,
1: drinking isn't equal. Excessive drinking, of course, is bad for anybody, but the CDC says that especially for women, that there are more health and safety risks. Would you talk a little bit about that, Carrie, about the risk for women and why that is? Well, sure, I mean, there's physical and emotional
2: higher risk for women. Number one, women, especially mothers, endure much more um, Um, stigma, shame, and guilt around substance use disorder in general, which makes it harder for us as moms and as women to ask for help. Um, Physically, we have a higher fat content, so we're absorbing alcohol much faster than men, and our disease usually happens maybe a little later in age, but much quicker. So, uh, you know, our, our fall
1: into alcoholism can happen much, much quicker than it can for men. There's so much confusion though around alcohol consumption because sometimes we hear stories about, well, a little bit of alcohol in moderation is good for you, like red wine is good for your heart. But now there's new research, the New York Times reported on that even a little bit of alcohol can be harmful, that that one drink of wine a night or two drinks can have harmful effects. Heidi, will you
0: tell us a little bit about this new research? Absolutely, so the cardiovascular effects and cancer, we see that even small amounts of alcohol use or use over time impact that. So, you know, um, often when people are having cardiovascular issues or they're going through cancer treatments, there's this, you know, a push towards abstinence because there is a correlation between those. And so, again, there's these other diseases and then you're seeing the impact that alcohol does. And unfortunately, there was a small research you know, that was done many, many years ago and um, for the public has really caught on to that and it really captured people's like, oh, it's healthy. I wanna, you know, stick with that and it it, and it isn't. And there's actually far more research that shows that it actually isn't, there isn't any amount that's healthy. And I also don't stand here saying, don't drink. You know, we're not standing here to say like, that's not um, a reality either. We're not standing on our, you know, don't do this. You know, that's not what we're saying either. We're just saying there's, you know, risk factors, there's a lot of different things we need to look at and um, it's important for people to like know themselves, know what those risk factors are and go from there, so. The,
1: the bottom line, I was reading that you New York Times article said that, uh, you should drink less, live longer. Yes. So, I didn't <laughs> we say like you that. shouldn't drink at all, but drink less, <laughs> live longer. Now, Carrie has a really compelling story. Um, yes. it, it's just really an amazing story. Uh, you were an incredible athlete. You were mm-hmm. a competitive swimmer. You you won three gold medals in 1984 in the Los Angeles Olympics. And we're going to show a clip from your 100 meter freestyle gold medal win. And Carrie's name, maiden name, when she was swimming was Carrie Steincipher. Let's take a look and then we'll talk about it okay
2: there is Carrie Steinseifer 16 years old <laughs> from Saratoga <laughs> California. She's also getting competition right on the other side of
1: her from her teammate Carrie Steinseifer
0: gonna be close hogshead touch in second place Carrie Steinseifer got it Carrie Steinseifer up in lane three came on in the last 10 meters Ladies and gentlemen on the board. Tie in time however, 55.92. Awesome tie in time but on the board.
1: So you actually tied right with yes. Nancy Hogshead. Yes. I get chills just watching that. I I don't know if I ever told you but I was a competitive swimmer when I was a, a girl, a young girl and I know somewhat about the, the the persistence and the hard work that yes. takes to get to the level that you were at. I mean, what was that like in that moment at 16 to win three gold medals? Oh yeah, it was a really incredible
2: time in my life. But you know, I was so young, I'm not sure I really fully understood the, the gravity of what I had accomplished in Los Angeles and, um, you know, what the hype was all about. And cause I was just a 16 year old kid that loved to swim. I loved to race. I loved to win. Um, I loved all of it. And so um, I, I think over the years I've learned more and more that the, um, the impact that something, you know, like that has to the, to the
1: public, but really on my own life. Well, you went on to have a successful career with mm-hmm. Nike, but you also later on struggled with alcohol. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey and what happened in your life? Sure, you know, I think that that kind of pilot light to alcoholism or
2: addiction was always, was always lit. You know, I do have a family history. I have the, the genetic predisposition, um, which I didn't understand growing up or certainly at the time. And um, you know, this is a disease that really kind of snuck up and really, you know, I don't like to get beat at many things, and this really kind of snuck up in my life in my 40s and really, um, and really beat me down. Mm. Um, it took really everything away from me that I knew and loved, and um, you know, I, I hit a bottom that some people never get to, and I pray that people don't have to get to the bottom that I did. Um, but there is hope, right? There is hope for recovery as long as we're willing to at least consider. You know, I wasn't a, a sober curious person. Um, and my disease progressed so far that sober curious was not even an option for me.
1: What were you drinking and how much were you drinking when you said
2: you reached bottom? Yeah, you know, I was primarily a wine drinker and um, I drank a lot. I mean, you know, really it wasn't about the amount I drank even though I did, the quantity of course increased with my tolerance, but it was really more about how it just completely destroyed my life and how it completely destroyed who I was as an individual from the inside out, you know, from the inside out is is really how I started losing my grip on what really mattered in my life from my marriage to my career and really ultimately my children. And so, you know, this disease is stronger than love. And um, Nobody could argue that, you know, those of us that are moms and suffering with addiction in general, um, that we love our children as much as any other mom, but we have something in our brain chemistry that tells us that they're not more important
1: than the next drink. Well, your sobriety date is February 1st yes. of 2012. You just celebrated 11 years, the 1st of February. We have a, a social media post that you posted where you just look so happy. I mean, it's just such a big milestone. Tell Thank us you. how your life has changed and what got you to this point. How did you change your life? How did you find treatment? Yeah, you know, um, th- this journey,
2: this last 11 years has really brought me everything that I've that I searched for in the 35 years since that video clip you showed of me you know, winning the Olympic games. You know, I, I spent 35 years looking for something that made me feel like that 56 seconds made me feel. And unfortunately, I tried to ultimately find it in the bottom of a bottle. And so I I was one of those people that had to, to go to treatment more than once, as you mentioned. And every single one of those treatment experiences brought me to the date of my sobriety, February 1st of 2012. They all contributed. I don't look at any treatment experience as a failure, I look at them all as part of my journey to really find who I was meant to be in this life. And, you know, being in being in, so, in sobriety and working for Hazelden Betty Ford and, and really um, spending my time helping other people find treatment and find recovery, is the first time in my life that passion and purpose have finally intersected. That's your 56 mm-hmm. seconds, then you're living That's my 56 seconds, path.
1: I finally found the feeling. <laughs> well, not everybody's story is as dramatic as Carrie's yeah. or as obvious that when you hit bottom. So Heidi, how does somebody, somebody who's watching yeah.
0: some, themselves or someone they love, how do they know they might have a problem? I think the most important thing is people, they they're the last to know so it's usually the people around them so there's the family and friends um, so it could be somebody's told them maybe they've been impacted on their job maybe they're showing up late um, but usually what's in people need to you know also look a few seconds at their self and go did I drink can I stop if mm-hmm. I can't stop then there's some problems there if I'm drinking or using and it's impacting other people okay that's shows some level of problems um, if I'm feeling like I have to use because I'm feeling stressed or bored or it's what I just do as a routine every single night or um, whatever it may be, uh, that's that opportunity to go okay what's going on? why does that feel this nece- why does this feel necessary? What is my relationship with this substance versus it being something that somebody just uses? here some at times, Um, but that relationship's really key. Mm -hmm. Um, But consequences are the big one. You know, that's the big thing that you start to see in people's lives, or what are those things that you start to lose? Mm -hmm. And they show up in those places, so.
1: Well, getting sober is one thing, but then there is long-term recovery. And we're going to talk about that. Hazelden Betty Ford offers treatments, not just for alcohol, but for other drug addictions that we've talked about. We'll talk about that after the break and the help available. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk, I'm Laurel Porter, and we're talking about addiction to alcohol and other drugs and the help available toward long-term recovery. We are joined by Heidi Wallace and Carrie Bates from the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation in Oregon. Hazelden Betty Ford is the nation's leading nonprofit provider of comprehensive inpatient and outpatient treatment and mental health care for adults and youth. They have treatment centers in Newburgh, and Beaverton, welcome once again to my guests, Heidi Wallace and Carrie Bates. Once again, it's really nice to have you both here. We were talking before the break about your journey, mm-hmm. Carrie, and, and getting sober, and, and getting sober is a big deal, but also long-term recovery, and you've mm-hmm. been sober for 11 years. Let's talk about long-term
0: recovery. What
1: does that look like? Let, let's talk, uh, Heidi, why don't you start?
0: Well, it starts with uh, wanting to do it, you know, and it, and it takes, it's a big commitment, and. It's a commitment day by day as well. And so it's I, mean, it's, I don't have to commit to the rest of my life. It's committing one day at a time. We talk about one day at a time. And it's finding other people. That connection to other people is vital as part of that recovery. It's not just abstaining from drugs and alcohol, it's more than that. It's looking at the emotional well being, it's how one thinks, how one, you know, it, goes into the world and, you know, enters into the relationship with other people and those healthy relationships. And so, it's, recovery is more than, it actually has very little to do with the substance at all. It has more to do with the whole person and all the healing that happens in that process. And so, and that's a lifetime journey. You want to add to that,
1: Carrie?
2: Oh, definitely. Um, You know, long term, going to treatment and getting sober really kind of gets you into the proverbial starting blocks of of recovery, right? And then the work really begins when we get back into our communities and we're back with our families and we're making that commitment over and over every day. And then, you know, and it's also the we, right? The we of recovery. I would not be here today if it wasn't for walking this journey with so many other thousands of people that walk it every day with me, even the people that I don't know. Um, It's been the biggest, you know, I've been on a lot of teams in my life and none of which
1: I am more proud of than to be on this team of recovering people. We've talked a lot about alcohol, we mentioned drugs, but Hazelden Betty Ford helps with drug addictions and mental health care. Mm-hmm. The, the president in his State of the Union talked about the fentanyl mm-hmm. crisis in this country. You mentioned in the first segment, Heidi, mm-hmm. also the mental health issues and struggles that some of our young people have. Help us understand what Hazelden Betty Ford can do for people when it comes to addiction to alcohol, drugs and, and mental
0: health issues. Well, the beauty is it can help with all. And so it doesn't have to be one or any. They, it, Hazel and Betty Ford, as many different treatments that, um, providers across the state and Southwest Washington, is, they're able to provide. And that's what's really wonderful. And I think too often people think you have to start at this like detox or residential because too often people see it at, at the, the, the furthest stage. And many people, in fact, most people, get help early in the stage and then they don't have to go through that residential even though we offer that you can get help in outpatient and so working full-time going to outpatient services all it takes is calling getting an assessment to even see do I have a problem and that assessment can determine yes you do and what level of care you need could be one hour a week it could be nine hours a week Um, it doesn't necessarily mean having to go in house Um, and for others it does and so I think for people to realize like that barrier of what is, does it look like? I mean, you don't know till you call. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the big thing. So. people might be curious about the cost. Will insurance pay for some of this? It does, so 95% of the people that come into our treatment center are in-network with their insurance provider. That means that they're in-network means that they're paying the same copay or that they would for any other medical procedure. And that's the beauty of what Parity has brought is that substance use disorder, mental health disorder is paid at the same as any other medical disorder that we'd have. Oh, so. that's good news. Yeah. We just marked Valentine's Day, um, a day to celebrate love and relationships.
1: What role does love play? You, you mentioned this earlier, Carrie, what what role does it play in people's long-term recovery? Yeah, you know, I think that love is, um, is so
2: vital in somebody's ability to get sober. Um, you know, oftentimes those of us that have reached, you know, that proverbial low bottom have lost a lot. The losses really start adding up and that's just not loss of things. It's loss of relationships and marriages and children and all these other things that we can lose due to addiction. And I think, you know, for me in my journey, I had two people in my life that never wavered and that was my dad Mm -hmm. and my oldest brother and you know, we all need someone to believe in us and someone to say that we're still here for you. We still believe in you. When the world is telling you that you can't do this and you're a terrible mother and you're just a drunk and all these horrible you know, comments that are so rooted in stigma. But if we have one person on our corner that says, you know, we
0: love you and, and you can do this, it, it makes all the difference in the world. So family's really important too, right Heidi? It I is, it is, and that's the beauty too. Hazel and Betty Ford offers a, an entire family program that's free, so you don't have to be involved in our treatment services, anybody, cause often that's what who doesn't, they don't know what to do. Families are like, well my loved one has a problem, but I don't, they may not want to get the help, but I, I do want to help myself or help my family member. And so we do offer a free family program, um, what's really, and people can do that from all over the world, it's all done virtually, so. Well, so much information here, but I wanna
1: leave our viewers with a hopeful message. So Heidi, what message of hope? About 45 seconds that could
0: you leave people with? Well, hope is that what we harness everything we do. I mean, that's um, because I do believe, I see recovery every single day. Too often we see addiction and we hear about addiction and they talk about the disease and all of that is, you know, it's important to recognize, but healing and hope is really where I see it every day as well and I see more people healing and, and finding that recovery and hope, and so just the message that it's possible is the number one. And I know that's what keeps you coming back to your job.
1: I know you love what you Absolutely. do. Absolutely. And Carrie, about a minute left for a final thought.
2: Yeah. I, you know, hope for me is the one thing that kept, you know, kept that light on at the end of the tunnel. You know, a hope for a better future, a hope for finding myself, a hope for having a relationship with my daughters, um, you know, hope for just in general for the future. And so, you know, my I always encourage people to to just remember that this isn't the end of our life. This is Really, the beginning of the best part
1: of our life is living in, in, in recovery. You work with a, a lot of people mm-hmm. and you get a lot of questions. You do community outreach. What are some of the, the biggest questions that you get from people?
2: Yeah, you know, the, one of the questions is insurance always. And, you know, the great news is that Hazel and Betty Ford's in network with all major insurance um, providers. And then the other question I get is, you know, going into treatment, well, how long will I have to be there and will my friends and family and, and will I get fired? is usually mm-hmm. one of the biggest questions that I get asked. And I always reassure people that it's illegal to do that and that you you know, the time that you spend away from your family to go to treatment and, and get into those starting blocks in life will feel like like a like a moment in time when you have so many
1: years in front of you to spend with those that family that you're so sad to leave. Carrie Bates, yeah. Heidi Wallace, thank you so much for joining us. To reach out for more information, the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation website and phone number are on your screen now. Thanks again so much for being here. We appreciate you. Thank you for all you do, Carrie and Heidi. Join us next week when we talk with Home Share Oregon. They're working on new legislation to increase affordable housing by providing tax incentives to homeowners. We'll see you then for Straight Talk. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.